Open your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 16. And uh, where we left off last week was uh, with the Apostle Paul, Timothy, and Silas, and then joined by Luke, uh, finding their way uh, from the Pisidian Antioch all the way up uh, a little bit north and then, and then heading west. And uh, instead of being able to go up into Bithynia, instead of being able to go up into further regions of Galatia, uh, the Lord instructed them not to preach in Asia Minor, not to preach up in Bithynia, not to go towards uh, Neapolis, not to go up towards Byzantium, but instead to go back down to Troas. And uh, we're about to, we, we found out why last week, because it is a strange thing to hear from God, don't preach. And like I said last week, I don't want you to hear that and say, oh good, I've never heard the Lord tell me to preach, so I shouldn't preach. I shouldn't t- share the gospel with anybody. Let me tell you, you have, heard the, you have heard Jesus tell you to preach. It's like we call it the Great Commission. It's a pretty big deal. It's right there. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. So, you know, the default switch, like we said last week, the default for you is preach the word. Right. It's to share the gospel with everybody. We have been given a ministry of reconciliation. That's the default. So you should not wait for the command to preach the gospel. You should be listening for the command of when and where. And if he says not here, that's a special command. Do you understand? That's the exception, not the rule, okay? So you'll notice that Paul and and Silas and Timothy uh, and Luke later on, they weren't uh, waiting for God to tell them to go preach the gospel. That was their mandate. They had already received that command. So they're going to preach in every church, every city that they went to, they're going to preach. But when he says don't preach there, there was a reason for it. Because if they had taken the time to stop in these places or to venture into these areas that were heavily populated but uh, takes, still takes time to get there, if they were to take their time and go through these areas, they would not have been at Troas, which is a port city. They wouldn't have been there at the right place at the right time for God to instruct them to go over to Macedonia. So this is really cool. Because it tells us that God, it just backs up what, what the Bible says in Ephesians, that God has bought you. He has created you in Christ Jesus. You've been recreated as a believer. You've been created in Christ Jesus. You're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that he has prepared beforehand that you would walk in them. So God has prepared a mission for you. He's prepared work for you to do. He's prepared ministry opportunities all throughout your life. And our job is to hear, to, be, to listen, to obey, to step out into the water when he says step out into the water, to just step out in faith when it's time to step out in faith. So he, uh, we left off with Paul having a vision in the middle of the night. And he sees a Macedonian man. Macedonia is the northern part um, it's, not, it's not necessarily the Macedonia that we know today. The Macedonia we know today is a much smaller region. Uh, but the Macedonia in, in Paul's time was a Roman province. The Romans had split uh, the area, the Greek area, you know, if you know where Greece is. Uh, the lower part was called Achaia. The northern part was called Macedonia. So some of the churches you might be familiar with in Macedonia would be Thessalonica, or it's now we call it Thessaloniki, um, uh, Philippi here, uh, Berea. If you remember that uh, there's at one point where he says the Bereans were more noble because they went home and they checked out to make sure I was saying the right, what I was saying was true. They, they looked in the word for themselves. So these are some principal cities up in Macedonia. 
God has told them to go over there. So let's pick up in Acts chapter 16 and see what goes on. Lord, we just thank you. As we open our our Bibles, we open up your word. We thank you that you are always speaking to us through your word, that your spirit is our teacher. I thank you, Lord, that I am not the principal teacher tonight, but it is your Holy Spirit teaching us by your word. May you teach every one of us. May you speak to us and show us and lead us and guide us into all truth. Father, as we, as we uh, open your word, we pray that our eyes would be opened, that you would open our eyes to see what you want us to see, our ears to hear your voice clearly, to hear the leading of your spirit, and open up our hearts that we'd, we might understand things that are far too deep for us to understand, that we might understand things that we'd never be able to get on our own, but that you would reveal as you do that you are a God that reveals mysteries. So tonight, would you reveal your word to us and allow us to focus in on it, allow us not to be distracted or to be, uh, you know, pulled away by other things, but just allow us to focus in and hear all that you have to say to us individually and corporately. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So in Acts chapter 16, let's pick up right after the vision. It says here in uh, verse 10, When he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Before we go any further, I think it's important to emphasize the words he used here. Now, number one, this is the first time we hear the word we, because this is the point in the journey. Somewhere around this point is where Luke joins up. Luke's the guy that's writing. Luke is a physician, but he's also a historian. And he's the one that wrote the book of Luke, even though he wasn't there when it all happened. But he says, I went about and I, I, I interviewed eyewitnesses. I mean, Luke's probably the most, um, you know, ah, let's, how do I say that? He's probably the most uh, old school, historically accurate. They're all historically accurate, but they're, uh, Luke went, took the time to say this happened in the, in the year that this happened and this happened when this guy was governor of this province. He was very careful to make sure he back, he went back and checked his facts and gave you dates to go on. And so he probably interviewed a lot of these people as uh, the people that were involved in the early church. And he said, okay, what happened here? What happened here? I imagine Paul uh, spoke into it very much. So I imagine Peter spoke into it. And uh, as he's writing this down, at this point, the they becomes a we. So he's part of the group now. But I think it's also important to understand that Paul had a vision from God and says when he had the vision, we decided, we concluded that God was calling us to Macedonia. That's important because there are spiritual people all over the place. There's some people that don't seem as spiritual, some people that seem more spiritual. But God has placed us in the body of Christ. And I find most of the time, Maybe not all the time, but most of the time, if you have surrounded yourself with people that are willing to have an open heart, willing to hear the voice of God, if God can speak to you, he can confirm it with them. And so, you know, it wasn't just Paul having a vision. He submitted the vision to the others with them, and they all concluded together that it was God and that they all should go to Macedonia. If, you, if you're not willing to submit what God has said to you to some other spiritually-minded, Bible-believing you know, spirit-filled people, and because you're afraid they're not going to get what you have to say and no one's going to back you up. You might have an issue down the road. God's put people in our lives that will confirm the word. He'll confirm it through his own word. He'll confirm it through people. And uh, I guarantee that if you're willing and you're humble enough, God will put people with you that'll say, all right, I'm going to catch that. I'll go along with you. 
Not everybody, but there are people that God puts in your life. So they concluded to go to Macedonia, that God had called them to preach the gospel there. In verse 11, it says, So putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and on the day following to Neapolis. So what's, what's pretty impressive about this is that um, if you read the next time he takes a journey this way, it's quite a few chapters later, uh, they get there really quick. He says, you know, in that day, we, we got here, we got there. So the winds must have been good. They're sailing just along fine. They get to Samothrace. They go up to Neapolis. These are, you know, Samothrace is just an island on the way. Neapolis is just a place pretty close to Philippi. And then here's what happens. It says, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia. I think that that's my favorite way to translate that verse because some translations say it's the capital, but it wasn't the capital of the time. Some say it was the biggest, but it wasn't the biggest of the time, but it was a leading city in that province. Just to give you a little bit of background, I'm not going to bore you with too much history. Um, (laughs) That's not why you came to church, right? But uh, I want to give you a little bit of background on this place because it's going to play into why Paul went and why the group went to where they went. Um, This was a place that was a Thracian uh, city. Thrace is is north of Macedon and so Macedonia. And so Thrace is, was a different culture, and Philip of Macedon took this city over. And uh, it became sort of a Greek settlement after that. That's why it's called Philippi. Philip of Macedon was Alexander the Great's dad. He conquered a lot of areas, kind of set the stage for Alexander to, to, to even go further. And so they called it Philippi. After this, though, the Romans, as you know, took over most of this area. In fact, they, they expanded their empire far and wide. And everything that was Greek now is Roman. Everything that, you know, I mean, stretching all the way, way over east to west. I mean, it's, it's one of the biggest empires that they've seen at the time. One of the most stable. So this was a Roman city by this time. The Romans had uh, allowed it to be a Roman colony, and a lot of the retired soldiers, Roman soldiers, ended up living here. So we, we kind of can guess that there's not a huge Jewish population. And the reason is, is because when they get there, he doesn't go to a synagogue, which is what he'd normally do. The Apostle Paul normally went straight to a synagogue because... He had concluded that, the, that God had called him to preach first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. So you'll see throughout their journeys, wherever they went, they would often go straight to the synagogue, preach the gospel there, because not only would you have Jews, but you'd have Gentiles that had converted to Judaism and believed in one, that there was one God. And then, you know, if they, if they kind of weren't welcome there anymore, they'd go and they'd find some Gentiles to preach to. So... We, we can kind of tell that this city is a very Romanized city, and it's, it's, there's not a lot of uh, believers in the city as far as I'm talking about believers in one God, believers in Yahweh, the uh, Jewish believers. But here's what happens. The gospel's not yet been preached here, and you're just about to see a city totally changed by the gospel. It says, uh, it says we, were, we found Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony, and we were staying in the city for some days. In verse 13, it says, And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside. So normally on the Sabbath day, you'd go to the synagogue, right? Apparently there's not one. So they, they ask around and they find out this is where people are meeting. They're meeting over by the river. Oh, so you, you, you're looking for Jewish people? Ah, I meet over there on the Sabbath. That's where they go. And so he said, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. So at the time, 
the, uh, the, the group there is, is just women, and they're, they're most likely not Jewish by birth. Um, they're most likely converts, like Lydia that we're about to hear about. Here it says this, a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. Now, when it says she's a worshiper of God, what does that mean? Because we know the gospel's not yet been preached, right? So what does this mean? It, this means, and we, we run into these people, people like Cornelius, people like Lydia. We run into people that aren't Jewish by birth, but they've come to believe that there is one God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Lydia's one of these people. She's from Thyatira. Now, Thyatira had more Jews than Philippi did. Thyatira was also famous for uh, their purple dye, which is kind of where she picked up her, her um, vocation. And so here it says that she was a, a seller of purple fabrics. Now, number one, that she came from Thyatira. That makes sense. But it also tells us she's probably well off. It was only the rich and the noble that wore purple. You, you didn't find poor people buying purple fabric. So purple fabric was expensive stuff. So she's probably pretty well off. And it says this, she was listening and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us saying, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Now, I just want to stop there for a moment. And uh, we're going to talk about Lydia and we're going to talk about the jailer that we meet later. Um, But I want you to notice something. Uh, that God had already done the groundwork here. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this where you've gone and shared the gospel with somebody and you found out God did all the work. Even when you're speaking, you can feel the Holy Spirit using you to say things you didn't know to say and in ways that you normally wouldn't communicate. And you could see people responding to you in a way that you wouldn't expect them to respond. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but how many times have you been talking to somebody just about the goodness of talking about what Jesus did for them and somebody who's very you know, composed and very put together immediately starts to break down and weep or, or, or you're hitting notes that you didn't know you were You didn't even know we're there. And this is because we're not the ones that are called to do the work of winning people to Jesus. We're the ones that are called to preach. But the work is done by the Holy Spirit. He's the one that works on hearts. The Holy Spirit is the one that convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. It's the the Holy Spirit that brings people to Jesus. The Bible says you can't say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. You can't get saved without the Holy Spirit. That's why it's important that you know that throughout the the Bible, we we see people being filled with the Spirit. But I believe that every believer has the Holy Spirit. Now, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to be baptized. Baptized just means completely immersed. You need to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. Not just a a dose, but to be immersed in Him. But I, I believe very strongly that you couldn't be born again if it weren't for the Holy Spirit. So that means there are people that, that, that might not believe the same thing as you as far as the Holy Spirit's concerned. They might have not stepped into what we would consider the fullness of all there is. And, uh, you know, the gifts of the Spirit and all these things with the Holy, Holy Spirit that you learn through the book of Acts and you learn in 1 Corinthians and, and all of those things. But that doesn't mean they don't have the Holy Spirit. Can't get saved without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the one that does the work. He opens the hearts. He leads people to Jesus. And so... God had done the work here. In fact, let's just keep reading the story. And I'm going to warn you, I'm not going to take as much time talking about um, what happened with the slave girl, what happened in the jail, 
as, I, as really it deserves. So we will do that the next time, which is not next week because next week is our minister's conference. But we'll do that the week after. We'll discuss that further. And we'll talk about the jail. We'll talk about the, the slave girl that gets delivered. We're just going to read through it really quick here because we're going to get to the point where the jailer gets born again. So here's what happens. It says this, following after this, it happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune-telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed. And he turned and he said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, and they dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs which it is not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. There's a great disturbance here. And it starts, you know, the riot didn't start because they were... Causing, causing a little bit of a disturbance because people were getting saved. The riot started because people started losing money off dominating someone else, off a spirit, possessing a, a, a girl, and they were making money off this girl. Now, we believe that there is a real spirit world. This is not, you know, I know that there's fakes out there. I know there's uh, most of the psychics you hear about. I mean, it's, it's cold reading. It's easy to fake that. But there are genuine spiritual forces out there. There are people that are genuinely influenced by evil spirits, and there are people that exhibit certain powers that you can see that it's, it's demonic and it's not good. It's not near as potent as the power of God, but there is stuff out there. And we'll talk about that more in a couple weeks, but, but right now I want you to see, as they go to the jail, uh, in verse 22, they're taken... The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they'd struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. Now, we could spend a whole week on that right there. And the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's chains were unfastened. I'm so tempted to talk about that more, but we will talk about that in a couple weeks. It says, when the the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. And the reason being is, that's how you get jailers to be good jailers. As far as the Romans were concerned, you don't offer them a pension and a higher salary. You tell them if, you're, if, if you let somebody get away, if you let your prisoners get away, it's your life on the line. That'll keep people in line. I'm not advocating that for our Canadian justice system, but it, it worked for these guys. So he's, he's doing the honorable Roman thing. The Romans believed that if you failed the state, if you failed the empire, the most noble thing you could do before, it's, it's not very noble for us to have to take your life ourselves. We will give you the option to do the honorable thing and take your own life. So he's about to take his own life because that's better, uh, better for my family. Often they would do that, you know. If you took your own life, your family's okay. 
If you force us to take your life, we take it out on your family as well. So this man's going to take his own life. He's just, this is the best thing that could happen for me is just to take my own life, be done with it, and my family won't have to deal with this. And at that moment, thank God, (laughs) Paul says this in verse 28. Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, don't harm yourself for we're all here. Now, I don't know what, what compelled the bad guys to stay in the prison. I get Paul and Silas staying in the prison. I have no idea because everybody's chains came undone. I have no idea what in the world kept the bad guys in the prison. But I imagine they're just as freaked out as anybody else, not knowing what's going on, not knowing how they're free, but knowing, you know, we probably should just do whatever that guy does. We just do whatever he, what those two, what they do, we do. So Paul says, hey, we're all here. Don't kill yourself. Verse 29, he says, and he called for the lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, I know, and you know, when we read this, when you take that verse by itself, this is a popular verse for us, what must I do to be saved? We kind of, in our evangelical, you know, 21st century mind, we, we think he's asking how to be born again. He, he knows nothing about being born again at this point. What must I do to be saved means how do I, how do I survive the night here? Like, you know, how do I not get executed? What, what must I, and obviously, he's all, not just that. I don't think he's just as afraid of the Romans much anymore because he knows there's a power greater than the Romans here. The Romans could bind these guys. The authorities could bind these guys. But there's a power I don't even understand that sets these men free. And the chains came off and there was an earthquake on command that happened. So I think he's also thinking, whatever you guys serve, whatever you guys do, I need to know, what must I do to be saved? I want to be on your team. Because at this point, he probably thinks, you guys think I'm an enemy. What must I do to be saved? Please don't kill me. You win. You're free. I I know you guys have a power I don't understand. How do I live through the night? Can I get on your God's side? What's going on? And and Paul answers him not, not in the fleshly way that the question's asked. Paul answers him with a spiritual answer. He says this. He says, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Now, I think this is a key here. You and your household. We know that, that you can't force your family members to get saved. Can't force your family members to believe something. But, but you know as well as I do that often God will use one person to unlock a whole group of people. And that's in fact what we're going to talk about tonight because I think this is where we're at in, in our uh, 21st century a nation of Canada, we find ourselves in a largely pluralistic secular society, in a society that's been separated from God in many ways. That could be depressing for some, but it can also be exhilarating when you realize the fields are ready, the harvest is ripe. There are people all over this city. There are people all over the provinces that we live in. There are people all over this nation that desperately need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe that God is not going to just do it one by one by one. Um, He will do it one by one, but it won't be maybe at the same rate you're expecting. I believe there are going to be key people that are going to unlock a whole group of people. 
And this has happened throughout history. Even in the last century, you'll recall uh, various times throughout the 20th century where this happened, where there'd be a group of people and boom, a whole, a whole area opens up, a whole region opens up, a whole class of people opens up. You see it through great revivals throughout history. You saw it even in the 70s in the Jesus People Movement, how just a bunch of hippies got saved. And, and it was like a few of them. It just unlocked the door to a bunch of them. And I believe that God, there are, there are areas of our society that we don't consider very Christianized. And that's good news because they're ripe for the gospel. And, you know, the scripture tells us Jesus told his people to find a certain person. He told his disciples when he sent them out two by two, find a man of peace. When you go to his house, I'm preparing. I've got a guy ready for you. When you go to his house, you stay at his house. From that house, there's going to be a whole bunch of people coming to Jesus. We've experienced this in ministry both in the north and here even, where there are just certain people that God leads you to. And they get born again, and they bring a whole mess of people with them. God has been preparing people that haven't even yet heard the gospel. Isn't that good news? You you go through the scripture, and you see it over and over again. You see Peter has a vision from God. And we read this just a few weeks ago. God led him to Cornelius. When he led him to Cornelius, guess what? It wasn't just Cornelius that got saved. Cornelius had all his friends and his relatives at his house. And they all got born again. And they all got filled with the Holy Spirit. You see this as, as, as Philip went into Samaria. There were just some key people. The whole region opened up. You see that, that here Lydia is a key person. That God has been preparing Lydia. I imagine because Lydia's named, out of everybody she's the one that got named. I'm, I'm betting. Now I can't prove it. And you need to take it for what it is. uh, This is not God speaking. This is me speaking. But uh, I'd I'd be willing to say that uh, she's probably the one that organized this little prayer group out by the river. That's a bunch of women. She's the one that's named. She seems to be the dominant one. She's probably helping support the cause with her own finances. And through her, not only do this group of ladies get saved, but she invites them back to her house and her whole household gets saved and baptized. Here we find the jailer, and God has, has prepared. This jailer doesn't know. He just thinks, I just want just to get out of this situation with my skin still on my body. And he is a key that his whole household. Now, when we say whole household, we're not just talking about a Canadian household. You know, where we got like two parents and two kids, and, you know, maybe three. And, and we, our, our houses are fortresses. And, you know, you, you better phone before you knock. We've got multiple levels of security here. You phone first. If you phone and we say you can come over, then you can knock. And if we answer the door, then you can come in. We didn't say you could go to use the upstairs bathroom. You use the bathroom. This is the bathroom you can use. This is the living room. We just don't have a lot of people just dropping by. Now, maybe you're different. I've known people that are different. They have people dropping by all the time. But most of us, you know, we're Canadians. We're used to our space. It's cold outside. You know, we, we have our defined boundaries. You know, a lot of my ministry uh, growing up and in, in, in the first, um, what, six years of pastoring was done in Loon Lake. And so it was very different on the reserves. The reserves were a lot more, op- people's houses were open, you know, um, not completely open, but you had more of a chance of people just dropping by. There was, you know, extended family coming. And so really it was very conducive to the gospel being preached in the homes. 
We've recently, just, to, just a little rabbit trail, we've recently, God's led us to um, recently just open up. We've had our home groups on Thursday nights continue. We've been meeting in, in homes for, for a few years now where we meet in each other's homes and we, we rotate different houses. But we would uh, meet in these homes and we'd eat together and we'd study the Bible together and we'd pray together. It was always a great time. But what ended up happening was more and more um, the houses that we were rotating got smaller and smaller. We, we, we got a smaller group of people that we were going to their houses. And, and people were kind of thinking, these are the sanctified houses. These are the houses we can go to. And the Lord just led us to open it up. And, I, we, you know, I said, find some people that don't even come to this church. Find some people that aren't even born again or some that have fallen so far from God that they think there's no way back. Tell them, would you be willing to let us come and have the Bible study at your place? And as we've been doing that, people have been getting saved in these houses. And you know what I found is they just got people hanging around. I can't tell you how many people have got born again in the past couple of years that have just been hanging out at the house when we happen to show up with our Bibles. And we just decided in these next year that we're just going to talk about, we're just going to simplify it and we're going to talk about Jesus. And so the, the believers get something because when we talk about Jesus, we grow. But when we talk about Jesus around an unbeliever, that makes you listen something's about that. I mean, you either, you either reject it or you embrace it, but Jesus doesn't leave you neutral. And it really doesn't go over your head because we're just talking about the, the gospel for what it is. And so people are getting saved, people are getting healed, and it's the coolest thing. The first couple houses we went to, the people that owned the house wept in front of us, wow. just wept that we would come into their home. Wow. This is what is so cool. And you're seeing certain people that are keys to a bunch of other people. Yeah. I want you to hear this because I think it's important that you know that God has already mapped out some people for you. And there are certain people that he's already begun to lay the groundwork for. And if you'll be sensitive to his voice and not do it in your own understanding, not, not try to argue their, them into the kingdom, not try to, to attack the, 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 the the walls of the fort that seem the biggest because you think that's what you need to bring down. I mean, come on. You know, if, if they're politically so far away from you, you know, your temptation is to, to bring them down on the political front and to just argue with them politically. But God may not have you go that way. In fact, most likely he's not going to. You know, sometimes it's the obvious things. It's the person, you know, when they built their little castle, they built the front gate so thick and so high and we look at that and go, that's what needs to come down. So every time we meet, we talk about that wall. Oh, we're bringing that wall down. We're bringing that wall down. But maybe God's got the back way open and just says, if you'll listen to me, there's things you don't even know about this person. I know them. I've known them since they were in the womb. I've known them a lot longer than you know them. I know the, I know the things they talk about at night when they don't think anybody's listening. And if you'll be sensitive to being led by the Spirit. It doesn't mean that you'll hear a voice five minutes before you go that tells you exactly what to say. That could happen, but that doesn't have to happen. It may be that just in that moment, as long you, you, you went into that situation praying and asking, Lord, I need your wisdom. Lord, will you lead me and guide me? You just speak through me today. Can, I, can you just love them through me? And I'm, I, I'm surrendered to you. I want you to use me. And you get into a situation where you're around these people that maybe have opposed you and maybe don't like you or maybe some people that are neutral. And just trust that God has been preparing certain people and they're ready. 
Now, maybe you're just the one that's supposed to say something to them, and it's just a seed sown, and you're doing some groundwork for somebody else to come along. That could be too. But I believe that there are people in this city right now that don't know it, but the Holy Spirit's already started on them. They don't know what's going on. They know something's up. Now, maybe those people, I think about Dawn. She's not here tonight, but I think about Dawn who was just walking outside the church and uh, she wasn't a believer. She lived in our neighborhood, walking outside the church, felt the presence of God and was drawn in and got saved that day. That's cool. But you can't rely on that to happen every time because not everybody's gonna be walking by the church. God can bring you and his presence goes with you into all sorts of places. Have you considered that you're not the one that has to win someone to Jesus. You're the one that gets to preach the gospel. You're the one that's got the ministry of reconciliation, but it's the Holy Spirit in you and the Holy Spirit working on them that does the work. And if you can be led by the Spirit and you can trust the Holy Spirit to talk to them, that you'll know that there are just certain people that God is already preparing and those people are a key to a whole other group of people. I love it. When some, every now and then somebody gets born again and they're there and they're sitting on, you know, whatever chair they're sitting on and they're hearing the message and they're excited. And the next week there's five people sitting with them. Yeah. And the next week there's 10 people sitting with them. Yeah. And you just discovered that this is how God works. And so let's be open to that. Yeah. Paul, Silas, Timothy, Luke, they all had to be open that God was going to lead them to a place. All they knew was, we're going to Macedonia. So they go into one of the leading cities of Macedonia. They find out where the Jews are meeting. Well, there's no synagogue, but I think some of them meet over there by the river. They show up, and they just let God do it. And look what happens. You know, when, Je- when Jesus went to, to, to speak to that lady at the well, his disciples thought it was terrible. It was bad form all over the place. Because first of all, he's a Jew, and he's talking to a Samaritan. That's weird. Second of all, he's a single man talking to a woman by herself. That's not good either. Culturally, he's breaking all the taboos. But he draws, he says, can you get me something to drink? And he has this conversation with her. And you know, he starts talking about living water. And then she says, you know, do you know me? And he starts to telling, telling her uh, details about her life that he couldn't possibly have known. And she goes away and she goes back to her city. Remember when she goes back to her city? I mean, like, and we've, we talked about this a little bit ago, but remember, she goes back to her city, and she's an outcast. Like, there's no reason for a lady to be by herself in the middle of the day drawing water. The women would go at the first of the day. They go in the morning when it's cool. They draw water together. They gossip. They laugh. They talk. Whatever. That sounded kind of sexist. I don't know if they gossip. They maybe didn't. They would just talk, all right? So Whatever. They gathered around, and that's just where you, where you talked about stuff, and you found what's, you know, you, you shared details about this and that, and, and she wasn't with them. And when Jesus tells her some details about her life, it becomes obvious why she's not with the other ladies. This is a lady who's been divorced four times, married four times, I should say, and the man she's with right now is not even her husband. That's the kind of lady that doesn't normally fit into an old school society like that. She might have issues in our society, but especially in that society. 
Jesus talks to her, and when she goes back, no matter how much of an outcast she is, she's telling the whole city, I think I found him. I think we found the Messiah. Could it be the Messiah? I know he's a prophet because he told me everything about myself. She said, and, and, and it's funny because these people that normally wouldn't give her the time of day, listen to her. I mean, obviously God's at work. Because this lady that's by herself drawing water, now everybody's listening to her, and it says the whole city comes to find Jesus. Now, how would you have guessed that a lady drawing water in the middle, uh, outside the city, drawing water in the middle of the day, that that lady's going to get the whole city to come to Jesus? You wouldn't know that, but God knows that. And there are opportunities, there are key moments in every day, in every week, in every month. There are key moments in your life where you don't know what God's going to bring from a seemingly coincidental, meaningless interaction. There's just stuff that happens. And you might not think it's a big deal, but if you'll be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and be sensitive to his leading, you feel that tug. You feel that tug and you know there's something to it. And you say, is this me or is this God? That's always the question we ask. Is it me that wants to go pray for that person? Is it me that wants to go tell that person about Jesus? Is that just my head talking or is that God talking? And my question to you that I've always asked myself is this. Before you met Jesus, before you were filled with the Holy Spirit, Did you normally find it normal just to go up to strangers and talk to them about weird things? No, it's obviously not you. Most people that ask that question aren't the type of people that go up and just bug people randomly. Most people that ask that question, it is not your nature to go up to somebody and say, can I pray for you? In fact, goes against everything your flesh wants to do. That's a clue. It could be that or it could be the devil, but I just don't know why the devil would try to convince you to go share the gospel or to pray for somebody. Just doesn't seem to be part of his MO. I know some ultra intellectual person trying to be clever might come along and say, well, yeah, maybe the devil does want to. You know, come on, let's be truthful here. What does the Bible tell us? The command is to go preach the gospel. Let's just say that's probably God talking to you. And you feel that tugging, you feel that urging. You don't know what's going to come out of that little situation. And I want us to get to the place where we are trusting God. And trust the Holy Spirit. He's the one doing the groundwork. He's the one that's preparing people. And there are going to be people you run into and you don't know it, but they've been prepared. That's why, personally, if it helps you to have a few starting points. I know some people are really good at that. There's a starting point. When they share the gospel, this is what they say. But might I encourage you not to just stick to a script? And this is just me. But I would encourage you to be more of a listener, especially to the Holy Spirit, than somebody who's just trying to use a script to get somebody to say something. Because ultimately what, that, what happens is you might, you might intellectually wrap their arm around their back you might, you might turn their brain into a pretzel and they're forced to admit, I guess I can't argue with you. But that doesn't mean there's any faith there. Right? You just won an argument. You didn't win a soul. Now, I'm not against tracks. I'm for them. I'm not against dis, uh, evangelism training. I'm for it. And if it helps you to have, a, uh, you know, some confidence to say, if I don't know what to say, I'll say this. Praise the Lord, do that. But might I also encourage you to be open to the Holy Spirit because everyone is different and God knows what you don't know. 
He may just say, just start talking to him about this. You, you know, if we get so stats-oriented, if we get so, if we see results like the world sees results, then we're just trying to get somebody to a prayer. But if you see somebody like God sees them, you care about that person. You're not just saying, let's hurry this along so I can get to the next person. You care about that person. And Lord, what do you want me to say to them? What, what are you going to do in this time that we're together? And if it takes all afternoon, it takes all afternoon. If it takes five minutes, it takes five minutes. This is not so I get an extra star on my chart when I get back to church. I got one more person to pray a prayer. This is so that I can be a vessel of a living Savior. That I can be someone that the Holy Spirit can use to proclaim the best news the world's ever heard. That God can use me to heal broken hearts. That God can use me to break down walls. That God can use me to open eyes that are blind. Can we be prepared to be used by God in that area? So I want you to consider that every moment that God leads you into those strange situations and circumstances, you don't know the significance of that moment, but God does. And there are times where he's already done all this groundwork. So it seems weird to you that you're saying what you think you're about to say. And you say, that's not how I witness to someone. I need to start out with the four spiritual laws and I need to go through all this. Yeah, maybe. But maybe for this person, he wants you to just start here at a place you never would start, you never would consider, but it's the key to unlocking their heart, which is the key to unlocking all of these other people that are connected to this person. It's cool to see in the New Testament how many households get saved. How many people because of one person open to the gospel, all these relatives and friends get open to the gospel as well. We live in a nation, like I said, that is post-religion in a lot of ways. And like I said, while that might seem like bad news, it's not necessarily bad news. You know what I've discovered? Churches that actually preach Jesus, that actually believe in the gospel, people are getting saved. Those numbers are growing. You know the numbers that are shrieking? The nominal Christians that just said, well, I'm Christian because I guess I'm not Muslim, that would go to church on Christmas, maybe when their kid's born, they get them baptized or something. Those numbers are shrinking. That's not a bad thing. Because, you know, if you had somebody go to church all their life and never believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that doesn't help them on judgment day. And I believe, I believe in having a godly society. I believe in having godly government. I believe in having a godly culture. But that doesn't come from a facade, a whitewashed tomb of everything's okay. That comes from true revival springing up in the hearts of men and women. And so I guarantee this. Instead of just, I've been making a lot of guarantees tonight. I should be careful. <laughs> Instead of us just hoping to win an election, force everybody to be moral. Could we just focus more of right now? Let's focus on, uh, don't, don't reject politics. Don't reject uh, voting. I mean, get out there. Support the godly people. Pray for everyone in government. But we live in a democracy. And if real revival were to take place, the government would naturally change. You know why? Because government's supported by the people. Sometimes we just think if we could sneak a candidate in, Everything would change. But you know, if you had a candidate ruling over people, telling them to act a certain way, and they don't have Jesus, they're not going to be able to act a certain way. 
But if you get people saved and full of the Holy Spirit and revival takes off from city to city, from town to town, from province to province, governments will change out of necessity because the people have changed. We look and we, we shake our fist at certain politicians and rulers, but you know most of them these days are just a mirror held up to society. This is what you want. Most of the politicians we have today that we, that we so go, oh, I wish this person wasn't in, I wish that person wasn't in. Oh, look what they've, they've done this and they've done that. Most of it's just the same result that the Israelites had when they said, we want a king. And God said, fine, I'll give you a king. And they got what they asked for. But remember, Samuel said to him, God told Samuel to tell, tell the people, if you demand a king, be warned. He's going he's gonna to raise taxes. He's going to tax, tax you. To support him, he's going, to raise, he's going to force your sons and your daughters to go to war. He's going, to, he's going to do all these things that kings do. Warning, that's what's going to happen. They demanded it, he gave it to them. And most of the time, the guys in power now, they're, they're the people who give the people what they want. They make decisions based on what polls the best. So if the people were to change, the whole nation follows. If hearts were to change, the nation changes. And while I believe in, I believe in political action, I believe in supporting godly people, I believe in supporting righteousness and justice and mercy, I believe in praying for all those that are in authority because the scripture says so, I believe the number one way to shift a nation is to shift the hearts of the people. And that's by preaching the gospel. And letting God do that. And letting the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does. Um, I've said this before, but maybe the next time you go to that Thanksgiving dinner, that Christmas day with your family members that have been so resistant to the gospel for so long, maybe instead of spending the car ride figuring out your argument in your head of what you're going to say this time to Uncle Jack that always, always has this argument, how am I going to respond to that? Maybe instead would you spend that time praying in the Holy Spirit? And just get built up and let God love through you and speak through you and work through you. And maybe Uncle Jack will get healed. Maybe Uncle Jack will get delivered. Maybe you will say something that will totally disarm Uncle Jack. But instead of relying on your brain to win a battle, would you rely on the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit loves your family more than you love them. Holy Spirit loves your coworkers. Jesus loves your coworkers more than you love your coworkers. Jesus loves this city more than we do. And there are people in this city that are keys to groups of people we haven't even thought would walk into a church. One person can unlock that whole group. And God will set up these meets. He did it in the New Testament. How many times do we see it? It's supernatural. Now, they preached everywhere, right? You didn't see Paul just walking around going, if I hear you tell me to preach to somebody, I will. Everywhere they went, unless they were told not to, they preached right? And let God sort it out. But there were certain times where God made sure somebody was in that meeting. Somebody was at that, at that riverside. Somebody was there at the right time that needed to hear the message. And let God, that's what he does. If we will set our hearts to proclaim the message of the gospel, if we will set our hearts to be led by the Holy Spirit, we will find that God does all the work. You just got to be obedient. You be obedient. You trust God. Let him do it. And he's opening up our city. It's going to take us to get a little uncomfortable. Takes us a little uncomfortable talking to people we don't like to talk to. Getting out of our space. 
Because right now, I think Brother Hamilton pointed this out when he was here earlier. Most of you, most of, you know, when somebody's been to church long enough, your relationships get tapped out. You know what I mean? <laughs> your, your close relationships, they've heard the message a few times. <laughs> so either they're coming to church or they got some pretty hard hearts. And God can soften those hearts, but maybe you need to let him reach past your immediate connections and make some new ones. But let God sort that out. I know he's doing it in you. Even right now, he might be planting seeds in you. But I want you to know that just as he said, you're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. You're created for the works that he's called you to do. Then he says, which God prepared for you beforehand that you would walk in them. God created you for, a, for this mission, but he also custom created the mission for you. And you fit together like a, a hand in a glove. And if you'll follow the leading of the Lord, you'll find yourself in, 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 in positions, you'll find yourself in situations where you just can't imagine how much better God could have worked it out. That doesn't mean there's not issues that come up. Remember the Apostle Paul said this? I, I talk about this a lot. But he said, an open do- a wide door for effective service is open for me. And there are many adversaries. So adversaries, just because you got stuff coming against you does not mean God's not using you in that situation. Just because there's adversaries doesn't mean the door's still not wide open. I think that's a theme that we've been noticing throughout the book of Acts. I hope you're picking up on it. As you've been walking, we've been walking through the book of Acts, the theme of God opening doors and men and women of God walking through those doors. That's been the cool, that's been the thing that stands out to me is to expect that God is the one. Jesus is the one with the key of David that opens doors that no man can shut and he shuts doors that no man can open. Trust that Jesus has the key and the Holy Spirit can work on hearts. It's the Holy Spirit that leads people to Jesus and that's the Holy Spirit that you've been filled with. So in every city that they reach, there are people We find out when Paul writes his letters to the Philippians, he calls Lydia a co-laborer in Christ. She's still a yoke fellow. She's still someone that has stuck with it. More than likely, she supported the church early on with her finances, with her giving, because she was better off than some of the other ones. It's amazing. I don't think she was the only one. I think the whole church, just like the other churches, had everything in common. I think they... I think they shared as, as one had need, so they all gave. But I do see this. She was a key person at a key time. God knows the key people you're going to run into. And don't fear. He's prepared you for them just as much as he's prepared them to talk to you. Expect that. Amen? Amen. Come on, stand with me tonight.